I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We've got the big show here today on a Thursday talking all things NFL. The wrestler? Yeah, he's going to be here. Oh, we should get him on. Can we get the big show on here? Was he on Radio Row this year? No. He was a couple years year. ago. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't him and Shaq on Radio Row? At one point, yeah, there was the big show, Shaq. Somebody else massive was wandering around. That guy was like the well. fourth biggest person on Radio Row back in uh, Miami. Yeah, at best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. We should, we should try to talk to the big show. I talked to the we'll big get show. Him on. Would you guys tune in to a show with the big show? We've got the table for it. We could park him at the end there, and the whole perspective thing would work perfectly. Yeah, then we'd be like the same I'd be size. Like this, yeah, I'd be like the same size as the big show. What if that ends up being one of our charities? I take a choke slam from the big show through the table. I mean, I'd, I'd donate for that. All right, perfect. Let's pivot to that. We get the big show to choke slam me through a table. Then I'll win our little charity drive, which right now is up in our pinned tweets, at PFF underscore Steve and un- at PFF underscore Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we talking about today, Sam? All sorts of NFL stuff. We talked Tyreek Hill for almost an hour yesterday. Yeah, so we're going to get to some of the stuff we didn't get to yesterday. If you're an eagle-eyed viewer or listener or whatever, you'll notice that the title from yesterday's pod, we didn't get to all that stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll hit some of that in today's show, as well as uh, a couple of other things. Quarterback I, value, um, the Rams effect, Rams planning, what's going on, uh, and the, the kind of QB musical chairs that's happening. I will say, I thought yesterday's discussion was great. It didn't feel like we talked about Tyreek for an hour. But You're very we, defensive about how long that show was. Well, people were like, oh, you only talked about one thing. No, we talked to philosophy and team building and how the Chiefs got to this point and what the Dolphins are going to do coming out of it. and all. Like, there was a lot going into yesterday's show. Yeah, yeah. And, we, you know, and then we had a hard out. And it was only an hour-long show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's tough. It's tough to contain us for an hour. Sure. Because we do stuff like this. Yeah. We talk. I mean, look, I think really what we're getting to is, is you're, you're sensitive about it because you enforce the hard out. It's your fault that the I show did. was only an hour long, so it is you, my don't fault. Like, you don't like anybody uh, mentioning it. I contained us yesterday, uh-huh. and uh, it was all my fault. All so, right, before we get into the fun. One last thing. I realized yeah. yesterday after you know, wearing the, the, the paperboy hat. Not a fedora? I actually, no, it's not a fedora. I actually have one of these, like, the, but I bought years ago. It was just sitting on a shelf at home, oh. so I'm going to wear this one. This is great. You wear it backwards. It looks weird if I wear it forwards. Let me see. You're like the uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. of uh, newspaper boy hats. There's something not right about that. I I can't. It's a little wrinkled. I think that's why. Maybe. Maybe that's it. But anyway, if I wear it backwards, take an iron to it. It'd be fine. We're like uh, Bruce Arians over here. You're like the kid, Ken Griffey. The kid? Yeah. Changed the game in the early '90s with the backwards hat. Yeah. The uh, backward hat guy. The original. my, My high school coach. Wouldn't have it. Not a, back, not a backwards hat guy, but Ken Griffey. Like Colin Coward. Made it cool. Yeah, like Colin. Yeah. Colin must have hated Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. Cincinnati legend, by the way. Anyway, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, 
Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, so yesterday, generally on Wednesdays, it's our uh, mailback episode. You know, the, Our fans, our listeners fuel that show. We didn't get to everything yesterday, so we'll get to some of that today. Mm-hmm. Man, that counted as baseball talk? Yeah, it's I just referenced a baseball player <clears throat> Yeah, with a baseball cap. Right. And I tied it to Colin Cowherd. That's how it's baseball talk. Oh, I guess that applies. Yeah. All right. We want to get into uh, the QB value piece here? Sure. Um, so I was on the Boss's podcast this week, Chris yeah. Collinsworth. The Chris Collinsworth podcast. And at one point we were talking about – Chris was making the point that um, I don't think – that he doesn't think we're anywhere near right now – the the actual true value of quarterbacks. So we're all these deals that are coming through the Josh Allen contract, the um, Patrick Mahomes contract, the re-upping of Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, um, all these deals coming through. Immediately, very quickly, that Mahomes deal is going to look like a steal, right? Obviously, it's ten years long, so it's going to happen. But and when you listen to uh, Eric and the, the data science guys when they actually sort of map how important quarterbacks are in terms of war, wins above replacement, and those kinds of things to generating uh, wins and how much that should count for your salary cap, it's way higher than the current sort of ceiling of where we think quarterbacks should get paid, right? The percentage of your salary cap that you would dedicate to a quarterback. So we had one email through from somebody called Eilish Roach, who was kind of asking, like, how many quarterbacks and how quickly you're going to surpass those Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes deals. But I think generally there's this interesting discussion about, you know, is there an edge to be had by doing essentially what the Rams have done and say, if we find a quarterback that can play at an elite kind of level, it's worth effectively any price right now because the data says – that that level of play is worth way more than what the league is currently paying it. So we can actually go out of our way and just throw anything at the quarterback knowing that it's still worth it. Yeah, to a point, I think the the problem with that is I don't think the Rams necessarily did that. They didn't mortgage the entire future. To no, but they're, I mean, they're kind of a bad thing given the – the kind of re-up, the renegotiation that they've just done with it. Well, the other part, too, is probably identifying that quarterback. Now, obviously, with all the musical chairs this offseason, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and um, the Aaron Rodgers rumors and all that stuff, I think we, there are probably eight or ten quarterbacks that are that are worth that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the, quarter, the quarterback is the biggest driver – of offensive production. We all know that. Both pass game and run game, to be honest. But the, the the pass catchers do matter in that equation, too. But, yeah, you the goal is to get your first piece, which is the quarterback, and and then try to get everything you can around him to elevate him. Like, pretend you're trying to get to 100% great offense. What's the quarterback? 50 60% of that? And then the, the rest of it is... You know, the offensive line's just like 10% as long as it's above average. It starts to be negative if it's, you know, horrible. And then the playmakers bridge the rest of the gap. I mean, that's where – that's why quarterback stats can fluctuate year to year. It's less about their play and more about 
their playmakers around them. But they are definitely the biggest driver of production. And I think it's why, like, moves like Denver made, moves like the Browns have made, you know, if you can separate the person from the player, um, that move makes sense because, it, like, it, nothing else is going to matter as much as that move, right? Finding a quarterback that's capable of that elite-level play when the one that you have currently is not. And obviously the Browns and the Broncos were in different situations in terms of what they already had, Baker Mayfield versus Drew Locke. But the point being, if you can find a quarterback that will take you to that elite level, a 90-plus PFF grade, that's worth so much more than anything else you could do in, in an entire offseason. You could spend the entire offseason hammering great moves, right? Defensive line, offensive line, receiver, draft well. None of it will come close to the total. The, like All combined won't have the same effect as going from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson or Maybe Baker Mayfield to Deshaun Watson. No, it won't. Now, look, the, <clears throat> the highlight reel in your brain is going to say it's more, it takes more than the quarterback to win, which is true, right? I mean, like the Rams, let's not forget about the Rams here. PFF's wins above replacement stat, which, I th- which is very consistent year to year and correlates very highly to actual team wins, extremely high. If you have a lot of war on your team, you're probably going to have a lot of wins on your team in a given year. The Rams this year had the highest non-QB war in PFF history. Uh, their entire roster. And it was extremely top-heavy. And, and again, we've talked about this was like a team-building decision. Like having Cooper Cup be like the best receiver in the NFL was not a team-building decision. That was like a really good third-round draft pick that happened to coincide with Matthew Stafford being there and you know Cooper Cup being awesome this year and developing and you know, it, you know, his development just being incredible. It was probably a move to say, we have Aaron Donald, we're going to get Jalen Ramsey. But those guys were three of the top five, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, three of the top five most valuable non-QBs. So that's a big part of what the Rams' blueprint was like. Again, it's not even a blueprint, so to speak. But if you're looking retroactively at their success, it wasn't, well, they got Matthew Stafford, that jump from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford did it all. It was also the rest of their roster construction was fantastic. So I think, I think the point, I mean, Chris's point is good. I mean, there's definitely going to be a, uh, there's going to be a time in Mahomes' career where you're like, what? He is, he is a steal because, not to pick on Derek Carr, but like the Derek Carr level quarterback six or seven years from now is probably making $50 million with not the even, cap going up and percentages and Not all even that six stuff. or seven years from now. I mean, Derek Carr is probably going to end up with a renegotiated deal. 50? No, but right now he's probably going to end up renegotiating that deal for somewhere around the Matthew Stafford range, right? That's $40 million a year. Mahomes is 45. He's already been surpassed by Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to take, it's not going to take six years for the, Derek, <clears throat> for the Derek Carr level quarterbacks to push that from 40 to 46. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I mean, I get it. That's true. I mean, I think Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes probably look like a bargain a few years from now, which is also, which I, I thought in, the, in that whole world of what do you do with this next group of quarterbacks as far as paying them? And I, I remember I go back to what are their goals? And it seemed like Allen and Mahomes, their goal is to be Chiefs and Bills for life, respectively, and to have something where they get paid their value. And they also have enough flexibility that they could build good teams for the next 10 years and win. The, Whereas other quarterbacks, I mean, Deshaun Watson just signed a five-year, 
fully guaranteed contract. Dak has has been on the shorter end of of his extensions. Kirk has basically tried to max, you know, squeeze every dollar out of every single contract. So there are different goals for different quarterbacks, but clearly Mahomes and Allen <coughs> in the long term have created advantages for their team because yeah, they're going to look like bargains 5 or 6 years from now. Yeah, you're right. The what each person is trying to get out of their contract is going to be different um i think so lee steinberg is patrick mahomes agent lee steinberg is the guy that loosely jerry mcguire was based off right yeah um he also negotiated uh steve young's contract when he went to the the usfl right the first time that's what it was right i'm remembering the right defunct league the original usfl where he went to the what was it the los angeles the hell were they? The Expos or something? The LA Express? I forget. The Express, they were. Anyway. not the Expos are a, a team from a different sport. Okay, well, the Express that I won't mention. Is that what we're saying? Sure. <laughs> okay, so when they went to the LA Express, uh, he negotiated Steve Young's contract, which had some weird like annuity in it that paid him a million dollars a year for like the next forty years or whatever it was. So he's got this like track record of crafting very unusual contracts, but that appear to be win-win. You know what I mean? It's not just like whoever, it's not just whoever, uh, not just the equivalent of the Kirk Cousins contract, where the very specific goal here is to just maximize the sheer volume of money I'm making throughout my career as much guaranteed as possible. He went out there and he crafted this 10 year deal that, in theory, keeps Mahomes in Kansas City for his entire career, guarantees effectively Mahomes half a billion dollars, not entirely, right? Because they can get out of it at any time, but you have to sort of, in order to get out of it, you've got to eat at least like a $50 million dead cap hit every year, and you, it's like a year in advance, right? So in theory, effectively, you're kind of guaranteeing him half a billion, assuming he doesn't get career-ending injury or whatever. And then for the Chiefs, you get to keep Mahomes for a decade, which is pretty important, and the entire thing is structured in such a way that it's not, you're not maximizing the money. You're not having the, uh, <clears throat> the Aaron Rodgers deal, the Kirk Cousins deal, the, you know, you're not maximizing every last dollar. You're, it's going to come quite quickly a point where Patrick Mahomes is actually saving you money relative to another elite quarterback. He's essentially going to become a long-term contract version of what Tom Brady did for years. And take a little bit less money, give you a little bit more flexibility, um, but the return being for him not only are you better equipped to win and help him win championships, but he also got like 10 years and half a billion dollars. So I just think for Lee Steinberg, it's, it's a hell of a thing to put in the resume. You've got that Steve Young contract and, you know, a bunch of other stuff as well, Jerry Maguire. But to come up with this kind of deal that, to me, from the outside looking in, is like this is the perfect deal from an agent's perspective in terms of everybody wins, right? Mahomes wins, the Chiefs win. Lee Steinberg wins because he's taking whatever the percentage is. Like, this is perfect. This is the perfect deal. We're not, like, it's, we see these contracts a lot of the time as confrontational, right? Adversarial. I want to get my maximum amount of money. You want to get, you know, you want to give me less money so that you can spend it elsewhere. And it's me battling against you. This was a deal where everybody makes out well from it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, that's why, I mean, I think that's what Chris's point was, right? Is that at some point, Mahomes plus, I mean, Mahomes especially, but that does look like an absolute steal. The thing is, no matter what war might tell you, too, about the percentage that a quarterback is you know, worth versus the rest of his roster, 
even the best maths that our guys can do, there is some dependency still. Sure. On the quarterback. Like, quarterback's war is still somewhat dependent. It's not completely independent. But it's not just war. Like, other, other analytics nerds have, uh, have made that point for years. That we're like, we're not approaching yet the percentage that a quarterback should actually be getting paid of the salary cap. Right. And, and so, and again, I think that's why I'm going to tie it back to the Tyreek Hill trade really quick. But I think that's why... I've always said you, the quarterbacks in a different world, you treat them differently. But football is unique compared to other sports because there are how many contributors in a given game? 30? Like legitimate 30. There's 22 starters, offense and defense. There's, there's, subs, there's subs. There's special teams. I mean, it's, it's probably closer to 35, like actual real contributors, not just like the L2 on kickoff. No offense to L2s hmm. that are watching this. Um, so there's so many players that contribute where, again, in basketball, there's like eight. In baseball, there's nine plus a couple. You know, there's, there's 12 players per game, and that rotates a little bit with starting pitchers. In hockey, there's, a, there's, there's more, but still not enough, not as many as football. So in football, there are so many contributors that you just, you, you just have to get average. If you get average contribution from everybody else with a couple above average, you're going to have a pretty good team. So just finding starting caliber players at non-quarterback positions is extremely valuable in the NFL. And again, just tying it back to the Tyreek Hill trade, I think everything that Tyreek Hill brings to the team as far as he could score at any time, defenses have to account for him, he's uncoverable, all that stuff, at the second most valuable position in football, by the way, at receiver, he will now be replaced by five players over the next two years. And those five players absolutely could add up to the value of Tyree Kill, it'll just look completely different, right? It'll look different from, you know, when you get to the divisional round and you're trying to make a comeback against the, against the Buffalo Bills and you throw a little crosser to Tyree Kill who outruns the defense. It's going to look different because in place of that, you might get an average starting corner, an average starting interior defensive lineman, a starting guard, a backup safety, and a third wide receiver, whatever it is, right? You're going to get five players that are going to make some level of contribution that's supposed to add up to Tyree Kill. But the goal with the quarterback contracts is to figure out, once I have my guy, what's that best mix of the rest of the roster? You know, does it, is it more star heavy? Um, and if it is, you might have to sacrifice it a few other positions, but that's like that balancing game from a team-building standpoint. Okay. I didn't really make a point for you to no. come back to there but no, that's all right that's fine but those are the decisions teams are trying to make the other uh the other thing that chris brought up which i think is interesting is um i still haven't checked this out right so what is it, Se- is it seven teams eight teams have multiple first round picks right is it eight now that kansas city just got or is that just that they have what now multiple first round picks in this upcoming draft Kansas City definitely has multiple. So they that, just took Miami, were, so it should it's evens out, right? They no, Miami had one. A, Miami only they only had one initially. When you had one this year, they have two next year. Okay, Miami. So then it is eight, I think. Anyway, whatever it is, there's a lot of teams control like something like seven teams control forty eight percent of the first round, um, which I think has to be a record. Though I've yet to see anybody prove this either way. Um, and Chris was saying that he wonders if this is going to be a year where you're going to see some weird-ass trades where teams are effectively, I, I'll take whatever you want to give me if you give me next year's first, because next year's first is where the quarterbacks are. And at actually, when you think about it, the teams that are in position to do that with the extra first-round picks, 
by and large, that makes more sense for a lot of their timelines, right? Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, our quarterback right now, we still, you can't possibly be like 100% sold on Jalen Hurts. So as much as we want to build around him, we're going to use some of these first round picks. If you could kick one of them to next year, that would probably be a pretty good hedge. So let's circle back to that question, right? Because Chris is saying the quarterbacks are undervalued, right? Only if they're elite, though. Yes. So that's why the Jalen Hurts conundrum is similar to Jared Goff or... I guess Car- like Carson Wentz at the time didn't feel crazy because he had at least had an MVP caliber season and you weren't expecting him to completely regress over the next three years. But that's the thing, right? If Mahomes is a steal, is Jalen Hurts ever going to be worth $35, $40 million when his contract's up in a couple of years? Is he ever going to get to that point? That's, that's the problem with this whole thing, is the high-end quarterbacks, you could say, are worth 60. I mean, you could put the math together that say they're worth $60 million 25% of the cap, and you could still build a championship-caliber team. You could, you could make that argument at quarterback, right, with the elites. But then the next tier of quarterback, or the third tier of quarterback, is always the struggle. And, and Hertz took a jump kind of into that broad third tier, that middle tier this, this past year. And if that's what he is, when his contract comes up, can you justify Hertz? I mean, by, by that time, the third tier quarterback is like $30 million, if not just every next quarterback that's up is 40. So it's tougher to justify that. So yeah, the Eagles should be thinking through that lens, right? Which is like Jalen Hurts, bargain on a, on a rookie contract, not so much when we go to contract number two, let's just get to the next guy, which could be next year. Yeah, I mean, we're still in a world where um, that the quarterbacks need some kind of middle-class contract that still doesn't really exist. But when you think, so Philadelphia are one of those teams with an extra pick. It would make sense for them to hedge for next year. Uh, the Giants are another one of those teams with an extra first-round pick. Again, like they're going to roll with Daniel Jones this year. Tyrod Taylor's there as a backup. Um, they'd be like next year would be the year that they might be in the quarterback market if it turns out Daniel Jones is not the guy. So that would make sense for them. Uh, the Jets are another one of those teams. Probably not thinking that way, but like if if you see nothing from Zach Wilson this year you're immediately back in the quarterback market, right? He doesn't get longer than two years to show that he's the he's not the guy. Uh, I don't well, see the – really quick, the Jets are probably in their head thinking we have to just agree. do everything around Zach Wilson. Agree. They're probably not hedging that much more in the future. Yes, I agree. Because if this doesn't work this year, I mean, I mean they all fired too? <laughs> probably, yeah. Uh, who else has got extra first-round picks? Kansas City now has the back-to-back ones. I don't know if they would want to be – throwing one of those to the future. They're certainly not in the quarterback market, obviously. Uh, Detroit has one. That makes a lot of sense for Detroit's timescale. We've talked about how the quarterback could come this year, could come next year, which immediately puts you in the realm of like weighing up the draft classes, right? It, it could come this year, but look at the quarterbacks we're dealing with. Or it could come next year, and hey, look at the quarterbacks we're dealing with. Now, you also have that, like this is, this is what they look like a year out, right? But if you rewind a year, we were... We weren't exactly hating the draft class that, that's this current draft class, but none of them got better. Everyone got worse. No, I thought, I thought there were questions about this draft class. I think there were questions, but like we, you know, Spencer Rattler was the number one guy on our draft board, right, a year ago, and Spencer Rattler ended up getting benched from his own team and had to transfer. That was kind of by default, though, yeah, but to like, be honest. But when you rewind a year, right, you've got Spencer Rattler, the number one guy on the board, posting 90-plus PFF grades. You've got uh, Sam Howell, 
you know, this incredible deep ball just has a great season with Diami Brown and, you know, making all these crazy plays. You're like, oh, if he takes a step forward. Mike is talking up Malik Willis as the guy that would emerge as the number one, you know, player with a, another year of growth and an improvement. None of this happened. Everybody got worse. So the top three quarterbacks True. that we were expecting to see all regressed. Now, you can make your argument that the two guys next year are better than that, but if they both go backwards, what are you left with? I mean, the other dynamic that we just didn't have this year, I mean, we had the opposite of what we've had in previous years where uh, Kyler Murray came out of nowhere, right? I mean, you weren't anticipating Kyler Murray being QB1 in 2019. You weren't anticipating Joe Burrow being QB1 in 2020. So, yeah, I mean, when you're looking to the future, there could be one or two college quarterbacks who just emerge and become... Right, and there was this the year, the problem guy. was just Kenny Pickett, right? And he's, he's old, limited, and has tiny hands, so we don't care, right? Like, the guy that had the Kyler Murray season is Kenny Pickett. And <laughs> it's just like, well, <laughs> sorry, Kenny. He did but... <laughs> it from a production standpoint, but not necessarily from a prospect standpoint. Yeah, right? like he, I mean, you're right. The guys tend to come out of nowhere or have come out of nowhere a lot in the last few years, but they tend to be sort of prospects that are, or have been prospects that are very clean. And once they have that great year... You're like, all right, we're sold. We've seen everything we need to see. And yeah, you'd love it if it was more than one year production. But what we saw was so amazing, we don't care. But with Kenny Pickett, it's like, all right, congrats. You're the one guy that had the great year and elevated himself. There's still some problems. I, I really like the idea of the Giants at 5-7 and seven looking to next year. I yes. do like that forward-looking approach for them in particular. Yes. Because, Particularly because we're not, yeah. I mean, they are not, we're not talking about the Giants as being in the quarterback market right now. Pretty much everybody is giving them offensive line, defensive line, whatever it is. Nobody's really giving them a quarterback with one of those top first or one of those first round picks. So this is look. So so the point does that does that increase the value of future first round picks? Because typically they're discounted, right? Yeah. Like you trade this year's first for next year's first, and next year's first is discounted at value because you don't know what's going to happen. Does that actually shift that balance a little bit? Because in theory, they're more valuable next year because the quarterbacks are better. I, I think for two reasons. Because this draft class for non-quarterbacks is also not great. There, last year, remember, we, we were using the blue chip example, right? We were saying the Dolphins are moving around because where's the cutoff for blue chip players? Like, how many players in last year's draft would be considered number one overall potential in this year's class? Like we would, if, if last year's class, non-quarterbacks, were in this year's class, we'd have serious conversations about Panay Sewell, number one overall, Jamar Chase, number one overall, Kyle Pitts, number one overall. That's the one. We'd have serious discussions about them right now. And, and I, I love Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's a good player. He's had one really good breakout year that was up in the Bosa, Miles Garrett, I mean, the Chase Young type of level. But all those guys did it for multiple years. Hutchinson had a good year and a great year. So, and he's probably the cleanest prospect here. But like all the tackles that are being talked about, they're probably not as good as Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater, who went last year. All of the receivers that are being discussed, they're not as good as Jamar Chase. Maybe Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith from last year. They, they might be receiver four, five, and six. I don't know. But that's, uh, that's the other part of this. I think, I think there will be shrewd teams that think next year's draft class – as a whole, even, if, even though you don't know the whole class, as a whole is probably going to be stronger. And from a quarterback standpoint, almost certainly will be stronger. Therefore, next year's picks are going to be better. So that could, be for some, that could lead to some unexcited. Well, here's the other thing, too. How many games last year 
when we were breaking down, we were doing, we were previewing every single game in the NFL. How many games had 10 point spreads? Mm. Remember how, how just lopsided the NFL felt? Yeah. Like, doesn't it feel like it's going to be that way again it's this be year? It's going to worse. Right. There's like, there's, what a, there's like 16 teams. Except when these AFC teams that we can't, play I mean, they'll other, play right. each other, but either way, it feels top heavy. But as soon as one of those teams plays, you know, <laughs> the Jags, it's going to be like a 20 point spread. And, and so this is why the arms race for the next quarterback, this is in a, nothing against Daniel Jones, nothing against Jalen Hurts. But while the rest of the league is scrambling to get these top eight quarterbacks, you're not just looking for a starter. Right. That's so what you, it changes. You're not just looking for a starter. And, and this is why I want to push back on this is new, right? To repeat again, like Daniel Jeremiah, who I, I think has great analysis, but he's like, oh, the NFL changed when Mahomes and Allen went head to head. No, like we've been preaching this for years now that you, you unlock every, you know, uncover every rock to find a top eight quarterback because that's the cheat code. But here's the, so what, what has changed, I think, is, so you go back, not even a decade, a little bit less than a decade. What I, the, Deshaun Watson just got the contract that I thought Andrew Luck was going to get, you know, a few yeah. years ago. When, when we were in this world of there's 10 viable quarterbacks, like there's 10 to 15 guys that can get it done at this level. And if you don't have one of those guys, you are just boned. You can't hang right you don't have a starting quarterback and the prospect of not having one is so terrifying that you have to do everything you can alex smith got a hundred million dollar contract from the kansas city chiefs having been basically a bust for most of his career because yeah, he turned finally, it around for two years with the niners because he finally got to being average right and, yeah. the, and being average was everything because if you weren't average you were going to run through this like list of quarterbacks that were just disastrous, and you were going to lose most of your games. So Alex Smith gets a $100 million contract, and in that landscape, I was saying elite quarterbacks have all of the leverage because you can't – like and Andrew Luck was the next contract that was going to be coming up. So I was expecting Andrew Luck to go, you know what? You know, we can keep the money the same. I'm not going to push for the highest dollar figure ever, but I want all of it guaranteed. Because if you don't give me that, I'm just going to leave. And then you have to go starting Scott Tolzien or whoever it is, right? Maybe he did say that, and that's why he left. Maybe. <laughs> but that's, that's the deal I expected this to happen yeah, with. And it, right. it ended up not, not going down that way. And what's happened is getting viable starting play has never been easier, I think. Right? You, you look now, and if your quarterback walks out the door, you know, you're Seattle – I, I don't think you're that concerned about getting a guy who's viable, right? Whether or not you buy into the Drew Locke crap that they're shoveling right now or whether you think they'll just draft somebody or just pick somebody else off the street or whatever it is getting a guy that can just function it's not hard right you can i mean remember Jameis winston couldn't get a job a couple of years ago right he had to sign for a million dollars to be to be the for a year's time to be in with a shot of replacing drew Brees in a quarterback battle with Taysom hill right that's the kind of that's how easy it is to get a guy that can start and be okay but what's changed is the emphasis on getting that elite quarterback has never been more important. So in a weird way, we've ended up in the same place. It's just the, the, the grading curve has changed. So instead of the, 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 instead of the demarcation line, the Rubicon being viable, non-viable, the important line yeah. now is starting quarterback, elite quarterback. And that's how Deshaun Watson has ended up with a fully guaranteed five-year contract that I thought Andrew Luck was going to get half a decade ago. So that's the weird part about this is we've ended up kind of in the same place, 
but it's just the the like the baseline is higher, the thing that you're actually chasing. But we're 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 right back to square one, which is everybody is desperately chasing the freakish, unique, rare quarterback. I, again, I I don't think I think the landscape has has changed a little bit, like you're saying. The other thing that we've been saying on the podcast here is that the just finding a starter is easier than ever, right? When when Alex Smith was was traded for, it was tough to find a starter. Mm-hmm. Now it's easy to find a starter. Daniel Jones is a starting caliber quarter, top thirty-two. Yeah, but this is why we had the Matt Ryan inflection point. That's why we said I mean, Baker there's a cutoff between. You're going to just – and it doesn't mean you're always going to win with a top-eight quarterback. Phillip Rivers was a top-eight quarterback. They had a lot of bad seasons there. Matt Ryan hasn't always won. Yeah. But you just have a higher, a better starting point. Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz are perfect examples, right? Each of those guys is amongst the best 32 quarterbacks on the planet Earth. Probably and, best 20. And the overall sentiment for both guys is they suck. Yeah. They're terrible, right? Because obviously we live in a world without nuance. But those guys are legitimately – starting caliber NFL quarterbacks, wherever you put them in that ranking, they are definitely there. And everybody thinks they're cheeks. Everybody thinks they're terrible. Like, that's the weird-ass world we live in right now where it doesn't matter if you're a capable starter because the goalposts have moved. You're no longer looking for a capable, viable starter. Like Alex Smith, you, if you were able to go back in time, grab that Alex Smith, the guy that got the $100 million contract for the Chiefs, throw him into the league in 2022 – People would say he's the worst quarterback in the NFL and they want no part of him starting. Like, he would be the new Baker Mayfield or Carson Wentz. He would be like, get this guy out of the lineup because he was never that good. He was good. He was solid. Right, but so were they. He was solid. Baker nobody, Mayfield has been solid. Nobody wants last solid. Last year, but you want solid players at every other position. I think you want to be great. Obviously, you want to be great at quarterback. Yes. And you want to be great at pass catcher. Is what I believe. Sure. But want, as, as, a, as a unit. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Packers do now and try and give you some, or maybe they end up providing some data points as to exactly how important that is. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think we're going to get data points for it. Looks like. I mean, you've got Rodgers losing Devontae and you have Mahomes losing Tyreek Hill. Yeah, but Mahomes at least still has Travis Kelsey, and some other viable True. weapons. Rodgers right, really doesn't. Right now, <laughs> Rodgers has nothing. I mean, look, Tom, Tom Brady, in a year where he lost Randy Moss after putting up ridiculous numbers with Randy Moss, the year that he, they traded him in week four, he won the MVP. Brady is the most recent evidence we have of, a, of an elite quarterback that had nothing at receiver and saw the whole thing fall apart. Like that, what is 2019? 2019 with the Patriots. With the Patriots, where they had nobody that could get open, and it made everything worse to yeah. the point where people were like, oh, there's, Brady's done. That's, it's right. over. The offensive line is falling apart. The offensive line was falling apart because nobody could get open. Brady had to hold the ball longer even when there was pressure arriving. Like, everything looked worse because no receiver could separate. Right. That is the last evidence we have of the kind of impact that can have. Right now, Rodgers is, like, next up unless the Packers find solutions. Yeah, and the same as um – I mean, Rod, like, people are like, oh, Rodgers never had a first-rounder. Like, he, he had awesome second-rounders right. his entire career, like that, right? Yeah. He had Greg Jennings, and he had Jordy Nelson. I mean, he had, Devontae he had Adams. Like, Devontae <laughs> Adams, right? It's not like he's Rod, never had anybody. Rodgers is oh, certainly uh, Randall Cobb. He's always had really good playmakers overall. Mahomes has—the the interesting thing about Mahomes is he's never lived in a world without the two elites, right? The, the, probably the most uncoverable receiver and tight end in the NFL. Yes, I know Chiefs fans. 
in 2019, he had, what, a five-game stretch or whatever without Tyree Kill, and the stats were great. I understand. Okay, it's a five-game stretch, and Mahomes is awesome. But we're talking about maximizing championship windows. Um, I don't want to do it. You want to do what? Uh, Warren, Sharp, Warren Sharp made oh, yeah. hit, the hit. first good point. What do you got? He made the first good point. I'm actually going to give him credit. Of, of the first good point of his life? Of his, yeah, of like first tweet that I actually agree with from Warren Sharp. <laughs> Which presumably means it had a sample size greater than like six. Yeah, he just, he, it was actually common sense. He actually didn't um, try to use clickbait or anything like okay. that. What do we got? He basically summed up the Mahomes trade the way I would. Yeah. Um, will this, uh, it was essentially, will the Chiefs, will this hurt the Chiefs' short term prospects of winning a Super Bowl? Probably. Yes. Will this potentially help the Chiefs long-term? Yes. And, I mean, there's something else in there. Is Mahomes still awesome or something like that? Yeah. So I kind of, like, agree with all that, that the Chiefs probably hurt their short, short-term prospects, but also the fact that they're going to add five players to their roster over the next couple of years, and the fact that Tyreek Hill, you're always afraid of a speed guy. Like, who's going to age better, Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams, right? Devontae Adams theoretically should age a little bit better over the next few years, where if – Yes, if Tyreek Hill loses a step, he's still the fastest player in the NFL, probably. He's also, he's but only, you lose that trump card. He's also only twenty-eight. I know he's young. And I just get it. turned twenty-eight. Like, My whole thing with Tyreek, I was trying to make that comparison to Michael Vick. There's always like Tyreek just has, he just gets banged up a little bit. He misses a few plays here and there. He always feels like he's he's been durable, but he always feels like he's very close because of his playing style. If he just tweak a hamstring, if he just lose a little bit, sure. Tyreek Hill loses the trump card. Agreed. On the other hand. He literally just turned 28 like three weeks ago. So it's not like we're, we're not talking about a guy that's 30 years old and handing him the bag right now is like, wow, you are playing with the line of when receivers no, I, start to drop off. And all I'm saying is if this happens three years from now, right, the long-term prospects of the Chiefs having an extra first round, you know, two extra, uh, five extra players, right, is going to probably help them in the long term. Like – People are, people are talking about Devontae Adams and, and Tyreek Hill in the same bracket as receiver, elite receivers approaching 30, right? Devontae Adams will turn 30 this season. Tyreek Hill just turned 28. Like, there's a pretty big difference between the two in terms of how, you know, in terms of age, how yeah. far apart they are. My point with Tyreek Hill is simply that guy is so damn good right now, you just don't trade those players away. And if the, if the wall that he hits in terms of age is two years away, fine. If it's four years away, golden. Like, just two years. If you get two more years of Tyreek Hill at this level, it's worth what you just got in terms of draft picks. I agree. So yeah, and that's... Play with that. Um, I also, you know, I wouldn't have made the move if I was the Chiefs because I, I, I get they're trying to be early on it and all that stuff. I just think there's such an advantage with him. There is such an advantage. So, you know, Mahomes has to go back through, you know, the Brady's had, had years where he had to drag less than stellar receiving groups to, uh, to championships or whatever it is. Uh, we'll see what the Chiefs do with the picks and, and, you know, maybe they bring in Julio Jones and try to rejuvenate him. But, you know, there's other things you could do, but the Chiefs definitely took a, a forward-looking approach here. Was that your draft day uh, trades discussion? Yes. So, hang on, did we answer – are we – is the value of future first-round picks going to go up and our team's going to start flipping them? I think it should. I think the league – I mean, the league's pretty smart overall. I think the league is going to realize QB values down this year in the draft. Yes. The draft itself is a bigger unknown 
the tipping point is pick one rather than pick six or seven <laughs> as far as blue chip players go. The problem is, as much as the Giants might want to be really smart and have picks for next year, who's going to trade up to five or seven? Who's going to trade up in this the, world? Don't you think, though, that that's the area where people might trade up? Like the thing is, so Detroit at two. Nobody's trading up to two. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the Malik Willis hype is probably coming out of Detroit. Yeah, sure. Come get him, guys. Come I, get him. I don't think anybody's trading up to number two. But five or seven, I mean, that, that in theory is where either the top player at a bunch of different positions is, Sauce Gardner, you know, Derek Stingley, whatever it is. Like the, the top guy at a bunch of critical positions is quite possibly available at five or seven. Um, or the slide. Like a Kayvon Thibodeau might make it as far as five or seven. Like so, you're you're attacking a potential trade from both ends in terms of somebody somebody might want to go get that number two is just not happening. So I actually think the Giants are not in a bad spot for teams potentially wanting to jump up. So the thing is, we've been pounding the table for never trade up for a non-quarterback and always trade back. I mean, we're it's it, that's not a unique position to PFF and things that we say. The rest of the league. I think there's just more teams every year that subscribe to more of those analytically driven theories, right? So there's 32 teams. There's always going to be, you know, the two years ago, the Steelers traded up for Devin Bush, 10 spots, 20 to 10. I mean, those things still happen. You're just getting fewer teams that are going to trade up for non-quarterbacks as, as, as I think the, the data continues to point in that being a very risky decision. The Saints did with Marcus Davenport a few years ago. You'll, you'll have examples of it. You just get, they're just fewer and far between. So I, just, I don't know if there'll be a market. This could be that draft where it's like, oh, there's no trades. We talk trade all, all you know, pre-draft and you know, everybody just sat and did their thing. It always it is difficult to predict. What isn't difficult to predict is how awesome Manscaped is because they've launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. We're talking a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. It's an all-in-one skin and hair care kit. That uh, covers you top to bottom, head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Here's your order of operations with your Manscaped Ultra Premium Collection. You hop in the shower, scrub a dub dub that body with the Manscaped body wash, lather your hair up with the 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner, keep your noggin toggin, dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin, put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons, and then pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one's out here kissing those chapped up lips. Getting dressed after that is optional. Wear one great scent all day long. It's 20% off plus free shipping. The promo code's PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to our friends at Manscaped. All right. So yesterday when, we, uh, when I was getting bullied by the booth, you know, and Tyler was pulling up the little, uh, the little satchel kid, the newspaper delivery guy, yeah. it occurred to me briefly how completely nonsensical that must have been if you were listening to this. <laughs> Because it flashed up in the TV yeah. over here, and I just looked over and started reacting to Did it. We react you were to listening the TV to that. Yeah. You had no freaking idea what on earth was going on. Um, but I think sometimes you know it's worth throwing in a little thing for the the YouTube viewers, and there's a reason to go watch. But because it's been because I've been getting bullied a lot, we think it's only fair that that you also take something. So you know you the lights are unkind to you as well in a different way. Uh-oh. You're not necessarily as bald as I am. You're, you know, it's the, the hairline's going backwards. But you do tend to look 
quite vampire-like. Oh, jeez. And Tyler's going... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, and the way I did my hair today, too, was a little bit more slicked back. That was good timing. That's incredible. Tyler said he had something for me. I thought it might be Andre the Giant. That's a common one. But yeah, this is worse. You're right. This is worse. <laughs> well, it's worse, and yet it's better uh, because that's that's pretty close. I mean, you don't have the eyebrow thing going on yet, but but the no, rest I do of have, it's I do have pretty good eyebrows. Yeah, but the the rest of it's getting there. Yeah, we apologize to the uh, audio listeners again. But it's worth going to YouTube and finding that because that's that's a pretty magic trick. We'll uh, we'll tweet the, it out uh, from the main account. Uh, not the main account, the uh, the podcast account. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, make sure you give them a timestamp. Make sure they. Oh, I'll, they I'll get, get. Don't worry. Get gotcha. right to it. Got it right there. Yeah, because I don't get bullied enough on this show from you. You don't no. attack my appearance enough. No. Like I finally decided to start fighting back at you a little bit tactfully. And how's that worked out for you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Come right. with, you come at me. You're gonna you're gonna get something back. That's all I'm saying. Now it's war. Yeah. Now yeah, it war. is. <laughs> I might bring the big show on here to choke slam you. Forget me. You're going through the table. Okay. Oh, what if I did that? What if I had him barge in here? And threaten you. See, I, I used to be, when, you know, back in the playing days, right, my, my calling card was speed and quickness, yeah. you know? Never had size on my, on my side, as it were. So I had to get by with speed and quickness. And usually, you kind of, you know, big, scary people, you like your ability to outrun them. And then you see people like Jordan Davis, you know, running out, what was a 479 at 341 pounds? There he is. Yeah, see, that's just way worse. There's my dad. No, that's bad. That's not as good as uh, Grandpa Munster. Um, <laughs> but, like, Jordan Davis runs a 479. That's, like, pretty much what my fastest 40 was. The guy outweighs yeah. me by, by, by me. Yeah, the guy outweighs you. me by 200 pounds. And I'm not sure I could outrun him. I certainly couldn't now. That's scary. No, you cannot outrun Jordan Davis. But I think, but, or probably the big show. I think I could now. The big show still. Oh, yeah. Even now. Not Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis would chase me down and squish me. But the big show, I mean, how, how fast can you be right now? It's not easy moving that fast at that size. That's what I mean. It's not easy. But, you know. Anyway, where are we going with this whole thing? Uh, where are we going now? So one aspect that we never quite tied into all that is, is the approach we're seeing from teams now, teams copying the Rams, right? This Rams effect of load up, Top heavy, pursue the quarterback, pursue that that mar- that gain of having the elite guy at all costs. Are we already seeing t- the Browns? The um, who else just made the giant deal for a quarterback? The Broncos, like the teams that are going after these elite guys. Is this a reaction to this Rams success? Are you? Uh, what are you arguing with Eric about here? I mean, Twitter? Eric thinks that trading away Tyreek Hill was a good idea. Eric, I come think on, Eric's man. out of his mind. He is. He's just talking his way through it. That's, yeah. the, that's the problem with fandom and bringing fandom to the table here, Eric. You're, you're, you're just talking yourself into it. I mean, look, so he, he uh, argued this on the PFF forecast, which you can find on the PFF I didn't get YouTube to channel. hear it yet because I've talked to him a little bit, Tyreek. What, what was his well, he was point? Well, t- he was talking about it. He was like, look, defenses essentially took away Tyreek Hill, right? His average at the target plummeted his yards after the catch plummeted he wasn't as effective as he's been in the past you're like so so he went on this little run and you're like ergo it's time to get out it's time to get away go somewhere else and i was watching this on the forecast and i was like oh i need to like yell call up eric and yell at him immediately and then george 
took up the mantle and was like, hang on, like the only reason this happened is because defense has spent the entire season specifically defending this one guy. Right. So like, or by definition, he's affecting the game every single play. The problem is not, hey, Tyreek Hill is useless. The problem is you've, you never found the counter. Right. And, and again, I'm going to go back to they came out of the Super Bowl saying not – I mean, an Eric Rodenhall article about this. He wrote, he wrote an entire article where it wasn't basically saying the problem wasn't the offensive line. It was, it was option number three. It was receiver three or pass catcher number three was the problem. So if you already have elite one and two pass catchers, you solve the problem by getting the third pass catcher. Maybe Juju Smith-Schuster is that guy, but maybe, you know, it's just upgrading Demarcus Robinson. It's upgrading Byron Pringle. And while the defenses are, you know, p- putting attention on Tyree Kill, you have somebody else that wins. That's... I mean, that's the answer. And that's the answer Eric came to last year at this time. And instead, the Chiefs, again, overcommitted to the offensive line, never found that next receiver. And I think they're, I think they're attacking the wrong problem. Now, if you want to say, again, the argument's fine that the Chiefs are going to be better long-term as a football team because they're going to have five players instead of one. And it's going to help their depleted defensive line. It's going to help their depleted secondary. It's going to help now their depleted receiver core to at least get some youth and flexibility in there and cap flexibility or whatever you want to call it. But the offense is worse right now. And you could have made the offense unstoppable by keeping Tyree Kill and having just another good wide receiver option, whether it is Juju or not, or another one. You know, just flood the field with playmakers so you have answers every single week to when Tyree Kill is taken away. Yeah, I look. I think ultimately there is massive value in having a player on one on either side of the ball that can box the other team into doing something almost every single play. Right? If you have if you have an Aaron Donald on defense, there are certain things you simply cannot run on offense. There are certain things that you are always going to have to do to account for the fact that you that Aaron Donald is there every single play. There's massive value in that because you know you take away a bunch of things you don't have to think about. Right? The same thing is true with Tyreek Hill on offense. When he is there and that threat of his deep speed is there every single play, there are things you are no longer capable of doing on defense. Or if you are, it's you're risking, you're rolling the dice. You're not going to get burned massively. It's like every play running, you know, cover zero, like zero blitz, right? You can do it, but you're really rolling the dice that one play is a touchdown. So the fact that Tyreek, the fact that you weren't able to come up with the counter is like, that's just... That's just bad coaching. Like, you can figure that out over the course of a year. But the fact that he was able to manipulate defenses for an entire season, single-handedly, like, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's, in fact, that's what every team is searching for, is yes. one guy that can manipulate the other side for an entire game consistently. You had that in Tyreek Hill. And when teams essentially found the way of slowing him down, you simply never found the solution to that. that I, that's not a reason to me to say, well, I'll trade him away and we'll just pivot the offense to something different. We'll get, we can get Eric on here to, to have this discussion because, you know, we've had, we, I, I enjoy talking ball with Eric about all this stuff. But just, this just feels like if the Chiefs kept him, Eric would be on board with it. Now yes. that they traded him, he's just like, well, let me justify this because, it's, um, because I've got my, you know, Chiefs colored glasses on. I'm sorry. So you had an actual question and next topic we were going to get to, and I got distracted by the Rams. Thing. You guys going back and forth. What about the Rams in particular here? Are we seeing with 
the Cleveland Browns, with the Denver Broncos? Are we seeing teams essentially start this process of copycat replicating what the Rams have done and the success that they have just had with Matthew Stafford and, and this top-heavy stars and scrubs approach and blah, blah, blah? I think it's oversimplifying to say that the Rams have triggered this whole thing. Before, I mean, I know the Rams made the trade very early in the offseason last year, but all of these moves were rumored. And, you know, Watson was on the trading block last year. Russell Wilson was on the trading block last year. We thought Aaron Rodgers was on the trading block last year. This isn't new to try to find an elite quarterback. Arizona gave up on Josh Rosen to draft Kyler Murray because they knew top eight or ten quarterback is better than just having a guy that we can develop and start or whatever it is. I don't think it's that new. I don't, I don't think it's... I don't think this is, uh, what were you calling it? Rams whatever? Ramsplaining? Not Ramsplaining. We had another word for it. But the Rams effect or whatever. It, it's not, I don't think it is. I mean, maybe one or two teams are thinking it worked for the Rams, it worked for us. The other thing I'll say, remember, what is Matt, where does Matthew Stafford rank among quarterbacks? You know, going into last year, would you say he's higher than 10 or 8 or whatever? I mean, he's in the top 8 right now. No, I mean, the Stafford thing on its own didn't do this. The fact that they already had a team capable of winning was the important yeah. part. But the other thing I'll say, I do think the changing league of Brady might not be here forever and Rodgers is getting older and Peyton's gone and Breeze is gone and the distinct elite quarterbacks, I don't know if they're there. Maybe Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Josh Allen – and Patrick Mahomes, and those are the guys. Who am I missing? Russ, maybe, but you know he's regret. But I'm just saying the distinct top four might not exist as much. So the advantage of having a top four doesn't uh, isn't there. But but having a top ten or twelve quarterback is the advantage, right? And it's and it goes back to the the Matt Ryan inflection point stuff. Maybe the Matt Ryan level quarterback, which again Stafford is. Uh, Watson's kind of on the cusp, right? I mean, Watson's been below and then above. Yeah, I mean, look, we pre- Watson had one year where he truly was the elite quarterback. That doesn't just like Josh Allen's now had two. It doesn't mean you they're immediately there forever. Watson's right. not immediately there forever. He's top eight. Dak is top eight. Like those guys are top eight quarterbacks. I think you're just trying to get into that world, and once you're in that world now, there might be a better chance of winning and going on a run because. At some point, Tom Brady's not going to be in every Super Bowl and win every other Super Bowl. Like At some point, that's not going to happen. So you're going to have more of these quarterbacks winning championships, and it's going to be easier for these guys to win quarterbacks than it's going to be uh, for these quarterbacks to win championships than it's going to be for Carson Wentz. So, I don't know. Do you think the Rams had an effect on this, their team-building strategy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the success that the Rams just showed, I think, is definitely forcing some teams – to look at the things that were sacrosanct, the tenets of how you build an NFL roster and how you win a championship and all these kinds of things and reevaluate whether or not those are true. For decades now, we have been preached that first-round draft picks are everything. First-round draft picks are gold dust. That's the thing that you want. Those are the the most valuable things you can possibly have in the NFL is a ton of first-round draft picks. Um, and that's how you win championships. You build through the draft, and you get as many picks as possible, and you get as good of players as you can, blah, blah. The Rams recently have shown that, okay, those first-round draft picks are really valuable, but not necessarily to spend on rookies. If you actually take those first-round picks and throw them at other things, elite NFL players, Jalen Ramsey, um, Matthew Stafford, you can assemble 
the biggest components in terms of wins above average, like the, the biggest drivers on a roster for winning football games. And then you can patch up the rest however else you do it. So I think you're actually, with all these trades, I think you're seeing that, yeah, like finding, finding an elite quarterback is, is the thing everybody's shooting for. But instead of like, you get one shot at it, right? If you draft Trevor Lawrence or draft Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or whoever it is, you take your first round pick, you spend it on that rookie, or you take a first round pick and a bunch of other first round picks and trade up and spend it on that rookie. It, it's one shot. You're one, one shot at a whatever the strike rate is of quarterbacks, 30% hit rate, right? That's yeah. not a good bet. Or we could take all those picks and we could package them for a guy we already know is damn good. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, whatever. We know that this guy's pretty good. Like, that's a way better bet than taking that gamble on a rookie. Okay, there's downside as well because you're bringing his NFL contract as opposed to his rookie contract. But I think that is the dynamic that's shifting. Teams are realizing that the rolling the dice on a rookie quarterback, yeah, it's the jackpot, but it's also a pretty low, it's a pretty low odds bet you're taking every time you do it. Or you could take a uh, yeah. higher bet, a higher uh, odds bet, with a with the same payout, but comes with a higher, what well, higher stake? I guess is the the other element of that from the metaphor. Like it costs you more. It costs more because yeah. of the contract to enter that particular gamble, but the payoff but, is the same, and the chances of hitting are higher. But to your point earlier in the show, the pay the the actual contract might be higher, but it's not. Right, and it's but, still but it's still valuable. Yes. right. It's still value, and still potentially there, not. As exp- like it's not prohibitively expensive, right? It's still like there's still an edge between that contract and what the numbers say you should be paying those. I'll, guys. I'll say this: you're right. So there are eight teams that don't have first round picks. So here's why: Bears for Justin Fields, Colts for uh, Matt. I mean, uh, Colts for Carson Wentz. Yeah, Browns for Deshaun Watson, Niners because of Trey Lance, Broncos because of Russell Wilson. And then the uh, and the Rams because of Matthew Stafford, of course. And then the two other ones, Raiders because of Devontae Adams, Dolphins now because of Tyreek Hill. I will say the NFL is at least doing it for the right players. Um, you don't have the Seahawks now have a first round. The Seahawks didn't have their own first rounder. That's the other one because of Jamal Adams. That's the wrong way I would say to do it. If you're gonna if you're gonna do it, it is to take a shot on one of those young quarterbacks like half these teams have done, or to have the elite number one wide receiver, which again, I don't think that there's a bigger needle mover than the elite number one wide receiver other than quarterback in the NFL. So I think teams are mostly doing it the right way. But if your point is the Rams started it with Stafford and the, the teams that have copied it since that point are the Browns and the Broncos getting Watson and Russ. Is that, is that Rams driven or is that really the Broncos are sitting there with a good roster? They were doing this last year at the, you know, looking for Rodgers. And the Browns are sitting there with a good roster where they've got this, you know, fork in the road in Baker Mayfield's development and contract talks where they, they were desperate and just had to. And the Colts felt desperate because they had to get Carson Wentz and lost a first rounder for him. So, I, again, I, I don't know if it's a Rams-driven thing, but clearly more teams are, are willing to pay for certainty or quarterbacks than they are, you know, first-round picks. Mm, There's think, something to that. Yeah. All right. Somebody just sent me a, a WhatsApp message with a picture of the screen grab of this podcast with me sitting here with this hat with the caption, fashion never sleeps. 
That is good. That yeah, is good. It's pretty true. What else we have on today's show here, Sam? We're just going all over the place. Uh, well, so now we're getting to the, Q, the the musical chairs thing that we've been talking about with quarterbacks. Um, Baker Mayfield, still out there. Have to get rid of him. Um, two teams, effectively, are now standing there. The music's still going. They're walking around. No quarterback yet. Carolina Panthers, Seattle Seahawks. Right now, the available quarterbacks? Falcons. Well, are you counting Mariota? I, yeah, I'm, well, I think between... Mariota and the draft, they're not in the sweepstakes for veteran quarterbacks. Is that reasonable? No, that's fair. So Carolina and Seattle are the two teams where veteran quarterbacks, they don't have one. They're still in the market. The music's, music's about to stop anytime soon, and one of those two teams is sort of, uh-oh. So the available quarterbacks in terms of veterans, I mean, Baker Mayfield, the Browns have to get rid of because they just, like, burned – blowtorched any bridge they have to him between the whole Deshaun Watson thing. They signed Jacoby Brissett as a backup. Like, Baker's gone. Uh, And then Jimmy Garoppolo, who the 49ers haven't gotten rid of yet and claim, apparently, that they have an offer of two second-round picks in hand, which, if that's true, they have to... The offer has to be from Seattle. Otherwise, they would have made the move already, right? Does that logic hold? If that move, no, if that offer I, was from any other team, they should have already taken it. Two, two second round picks. Do you think they would? Tra- I mean, it, it, division division trades do happen. Right. Uh, Donovan McNabb was tra- was he traded to uh, Washington? I don't even remember. Back in the day, Drew Bledsoe was traded to the Bills from yeah. the Patriots. So yeah, the in, uh, within division, intra division trades are possible. You think it'd be Seattle trading for Garoppolo? I think. I mean, look, I don't know whether that's the offer or not, but if the, if the report is true that the 49ers have an offer in hand of two second-round picks for Jimmy Garoppolo, the only way that makes any sense to me that they haven't already immediately taken it and, like, danced a little celebratory jig is if that offer is from Seattle and they don't necessarily want to ship a quarterback to a division rival. Or if a friend of the show, John Lynch, is just making it up. I mean, yeah, this is I – mean, that's the alternative, right? But I'm, that's what I'm saying. If it's true, the only way it makes any sense is if the offer is from Seattle. And, and this is the point we were trying to make about the value of, of having that top quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good NFL quarterback. A guy that, I mean, just a few years ago was extremely coveted, was traded for a second rounder, and then you know turned into a massive contract by the 49ers. But a guy that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, would have been really coveted in that Alex Smith world that you always describe here in 2012 and 13. And now we've hit the point where everybody's, everybody either has, has their guy or has a young guy that they at least want to see develop, and the desperation just isn't there for a Jimmy Garoppolo caliber starter. So I don't know. I mean, the Panthers would upgrade with Jimmy Garoppolo, but is that the route that they want to go I, the in Panthers, year three of that regime? The Panthers are the team. I don't want to say I'm feeling sorry for them, but it, it's really hard to see an out from where they are right now, right? Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think that moves the needle as much as you need it to. Also, he's going to get hurt because he does every single year. Baker Mayfield, there's no way you can hit your wagon of that having just done the Sam Darnold thing. Like, you can't it's, – it's not quite the same, and the Baker's been way better than Sam Darnold. So they're going Kenny Pickett at six. Right, but it's kind of the same gamble. So now you're, like, stuck of in a year where everybody hates the quarterbacks – we need to knock one out of the park at number six overall. Otherwise, we're all getting fired. That's basically the situation the Panthers have, have painted themselves into. 
I mean, I would still, I would still take the shot on Baker. I would still take that shot, no matter who it is. I mean, you, you can't, you can't use Sam Darnold as an example. That was a. No, Darnold but, was just a mistake because yes. he had never played well. But I think it's going NFL. to, but it's going to inform your decision of what you do now. If you're the Panthers, it maybe shouldn't, but it will. Like you can't. You can't essentially replicate the Sam Darnold gamble from a year ago now with Baker Mayfield if you're Carolina. There's no way. You can't go to Baker just because of Darnold. I don't think so. So it reminds me, you know, the, um, the Panthers have essentially you know, painted themselves into a corner, uh, which reminded me of a story. You know Sid Barrett, the old, was he a singer or a guitarist for uh, Pink Floyd? Sure. Went kind of crazy, drugs and all those kinds of things. At one point he was like, I forget what the story, he was varnishing like the upstairs floor of his attic or something and like varnished himself into the corner you know like just varnished himself it had to be craned out of the window you know lest he wreck his floor that's kind of what the panthers have done right now they've varnished themselves into this tiny bay window and their only shot out is get the metaphor ticker is kenny pickett being a crane to be able to winch them to safety that's it why only kenny pickett because i think that's the guy they like there you go. Look at you over 2,500 great metaphors. Yeah. You know, my other favorite story about Sid Barrett was, um, so he kind of got progressively more crazy and drug-addled and blah, 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 and they ended up getting rid of him from the band. Uh, but I can't, they were talking to, um, is it David Gilmore? I really don't know these guys' names very well. But anyway, they were talking about one of them, about how this happened, like how they moved on from Sid. And they're like, yeah, you know, we used to get in the van and we'd all drive to the studio and we'd, we'd do the, uh, you know, our day rehearsal or jamming or whatever they would do and he was like and we used to pick up Sid along the way he was like and then one day we didn't pick up Sid it's like we never picked him up again <laughs> that's how they that's how Sid left the band that's just it, stop huh? picking him up just stop picking him up that's great um I, I gave you a good metaphor offline that I feel like I should get that doesn't count credit for what did you do the uh the Smash Mouth one what was that remember Smash Mouth late 90s early 2000s hit band yeah is uh hilarious on uh on twitter diehard bay area sports fan so he's gotten into like big fights with bryce harper when he didn't sign with the giants and smash mouth verified smash mouth account was breaking down trey lance film a couple weeks ago and like oh look at trey lance break you know can't he's not hitting these open receivers and all this stuff and you're like what's what's up with this i said it'd be like uh it'd be like oasis breaking down rugby film on uh on twitter okay like Chalk it up. Minus one. There you go. Nice. Chalk it up. I'm up to minus one. You're almost back to not even 500. You're back to level. We need to get Smash Mouth on here for uh, their their 49ers or his 49ers take. I say they because it's, you know, the band. It's the official band account here. Or is Smash Mouth Mouth just a guy? I don't know. Um, Alex, I mean, you're still arguing with Eric over here, huh? I'm out now. I mean, my whole point is they put – they had to be craned out of the Ty- Tyree Kill situation because of the overpay for Joe Tooney. You can, I mean, you could say they're in this position because they overpaid for Joe Tooney. Yeah, look, let's if, not derail our own podcast with this. So, Carolina, how are they getting winched sorry. out? Is it Kenny Pickett? Kenny Pickett, as I, I think I said this on the Daily. Somebody's going to draft Kenny Pickett because they, they, they're going to say he could just come in and run an NFL offense. Yeah. I could see the Panthers – 
looking for the guy that's just going to come in and they, run an offense, and it's going to be Kenny. They Pickett. were at his pro day. They made him hold a football, shake it around, stuff, make sure his tiny little hands weren't going to weren't going to affect anything. They're former, happy. Former NFL execs like to tell us that it's lying season and don't believe anything. But when you're right there in person making a dude hold the football to make sure it doesn't fall out of his teeny hands and all that stuff, <laughs> I mean, you're decla- that's, that's real. <laughs> I don't think it's a big act by the Panthers yeah. to get people on Kenny Pickett. Yeah, Kenny Pickett at six. I do think, by the way, the hand thing probably doesn't mean anything for Kenny Pickett. Like, okay, he's got to wear gloves at all times, apparently, including, like, the combine, like— he was throwing, there's a video out there of him. The, the weird thing about the combine is so like the entirety of Indianapolis is like connected with walking, you know, skywalks and stuff. And the conference center basically connects the entire city up. So the stadium is connected to the conference center and all those walkways and things. But before these guys go through to the stadium, they come from a hotel or whatever. And they're in, they're like chilling, killing time in the conference center walkways, these giant cavernous tunnels. So you often see them like warming up or working out or doing sprints or throwing the ball or whatever. So there's a video of Kenny Pickett throwing footballs just in the conference center tunnels, corridors. And he's throwing with the gloves. Like he has the gloves. At all times, he's got those gloves. Fine. And honestly, like the, the, the tack on those cutter things, like they're insane. Like if, you, if you're actually – the thing – the problem with gloves, I would imagine, as an NFL quarterback – not imagine in that I haven't done this, but I would imagine the issue is that it's a very different type of, you know, tack resistance, stickiness than like your hand. Right. So if you're not used to it, it's going to completely screw you up going from like, Hey, the ball comes immediately out of my hand when I don't have gloves on to this thing actually sticks. There's like a different, you know, there's a major difference there, but if you've always worn gloves, I mean, you're used to it. Right. What, what confuses I, me, though, is – so the only time I would imagine that could possibly be a concern is when it rains. Because when it rains – And that's when small hands are the concern. Yeah, but, yeah, but when it rains, the tack on those gloves is useless. It goes from, like, these are the stickiest things in the world to this is actually slippier than my bare hand. Right, which is why you see, you see receivers take their gloves off a lot in the rain. Correct. But there are games on Kenny Pickett's tape where he's firing freaking lasers in the pouring rain. So if it's not, an, if it's not a problem then – it's not a problem. That, that's the bottom line, man. I mean, I think when Jared Goff had questions about his nine-inch hands, and if you've seen him play in the rain, it was a disaster. He had a game, Goff, as a true freshman at Cal, where he couldn't even, like, hold the ball. It was in Oregon. I think it at Oregon. Ball kept slipping out of his hand, whatever it was. A couple of years ago against Washington, he looked like he was throwing a pie. Actually made a great throw. I got a um, video of it on Twitter, where he looks like it's just the ball is just like resting on top of his hand. He's pie throwing it. It still somehow worked, but it clearly had an effect on him. As our again old friend Zach Robinson said, it's it's about quick game. You know, sometimes it's just catching and getting a getting a quick grip on the ball. I mean, if you have concerns about a guy's hand size, watch him in those conditions. And if you don't have him in those conditions, do what the uh, what they do at pro day. Right? Remember uh, Hugh Jackson coming down a couple years ago to Carson Wentz, and he's like, whoa, 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 Carson, let me, uh, let me just hose down this football for you before you throw it here. You know, whatever, private workouts, whatever you do. You know, hose down the football. You know, put, uh, grab some fans if you want to see him throw in the wind and see him cut the wind. I don't know, figure it out. But figure out the football-related things that you want to see him do. And you're right, Pickett hasn't been 
necessarily bad in the uh, in the rain. Yeah, and, and in, like there are quarterbacks that have significantly larger hands than him who did have problems in the rain. Like Jared Goff, right? Had a game in the monsoon where he couldn't. He had nine inch hands. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's half an inch. I know you were, you were tweeting. I just told a whole Goff story and all that stuff. Yeah, while you but were. like there are quarterbacks that had significantly larger hands than him who played in the rain and you did see problems. Right. Pen- Pickett played in the rain and there was no problem. Like bullets coming out, firing him into tight windows. So if it's yeah. not a problem then, it's, pro- it's not a problem. Generally, I mean. It's just funny. It, it's, it's, it's a physical limitation the same way arm strength overall is and velocity and all that stuff where if you do get into – you know, extremely windy environments or whatever it is, your arm strength is going to be an issue. Or your arm strength is going to be an issue if, um, like with, with Chad Pennington, teams would just sit on outside route or just give him outside routes and let him, you know, force him to work the middle of the field or whatever it is. It just takes away options. Um, maybe hand, but hand size really only shows up in a few games if it's not coming out in your actual velocity and all that stuff. But you could test that with, you know, velocity. Hmm. For Pickett. So Pickett is where we think the Rams are going to, or not the Rams, the Panthers are going to go. Man, it's trending that way. That's a hell of a gap. But you know me, I buy it. I, I thought that the, who did I think was all in on uh, Herbert? Dolphins? I think so, yeah. And I think they, I think people were. I think enough people were, but they went Tua over Herbert. And then? There were enough people in the organization that were, but obviously got overruled. So then the I other- buy into all the hype. The other question is, where the Seahawks go? I think they go Malik Willis. Wow. I think they want Malik Willis. If Pete really wants to get back to his roots and run the ball, there's no better QB to build a run-first attack behind than Malik Willis. But does he even like Pete Carroll's, Pete Carroll's roots of running the ball always feels like he wants to just run like high formation and hand it off to a True. power bruising back. Does he want to like get into the Kyle Shanahan world of like what creative stuff can I dial up with this running threat of a quarterback? I think he's progressive enough in the run game, or just to like like creative run game. I think can be good enough for because like remember they had Russell Wilson for years. Not like Russell Wilson was a statue, and then they would zone read right. But they like there were always gives. There was no like he never there was no kept carry. It. It was true. You run zone read and you hand it off to Marshawn. Don't no, you even think about pulling that ball. That's true. Even when it was wide open all the time, Russ right. never kept it. So, like, how much does he really want to get into that of, hey, think of all the things I can do with Malik Willis as a rushing threat? Fair point. I would still say Willis, I think. So you don't think that they're going to be in the market for a veteran? I mean, I would take, I would take a shot on Baker, too. I, I, I would just take a shot on Baker Mayfield because he's played good football before. You would take it, but... But he, he, you think he, you would take a shot for a pick because he's going to get cut. There's no value in Baker right now. I mean, look, it's, it's, if it's between – if I'm the Seahawks and I know that the – knowing what you're saying, eh, the Panthers probably aren't in the market for Baker Mayfield, then maybe you just wait till he's released. Yeah. If I'm the Giants – did you bring this up the other day? If I'm the Giants taking a shot on Baker Mayfield, just getting him at, in and getting, point, getting a feel for him? At the point – well, so this is the thing, right? If right now – there's probably a marketplace of like one or two teams. But I think that marketplace changes if he gets cut because all of a sudden you're no longer talking about a guy who has a, whatever it is, $18.5 million guaranteed 50-year option. Now you're talking about a guy who's just available on the open market for whatever you can sign him for. That, to me, should immediately bring a bunch of other teams back into the conversation who don't want to pick up his option. But if you're telling me like Baker's available now for nothing, 
Yeah, let's let's kick the tires on that. And the yeah. Giants should be one of those teams. You know who else really liked Baker Mayfield coming out? It was the Patriots. Yeah, that was talked about. So I'm not saying New England with Mac Jones, but what about the Raiders and well, Josh why, McDaniels? Also, why not New England? Like at the point where he becomes a backup option, like Mac Jones or Baker Mayfield is better than Brian Hoyer. Yeah, but then it feels like you're pushing Mac Jones. I mean, they they need to. They're going to build around Mac Jones over there. It yeah. feels like you're pushing him. Where like with Hoyer, it's like, all right, here's our QB coach. Aren't in you, Mister? Like, if the guy can't handle that kind of pressure, what's he doing? Oh as yeah. A Oh, would I do it? Sure. Like, if I'm any team, I would sign Baker Mayfield because there's still a chance that he could be really good, right? I'm, I would, if I'm any team, I would do that. But I'm just I'm predicting I don't think New England would do it. If you're the Raiders and you're in the last year of Derek Carr, is Baker Mayfield a potentially cheaper long-term option rather than Derek Carr? Does that actually matter? You know, I mean, is there a big enough drop-off between Carr and Baker that you wouldn't want to do that? I don't know. I do think people generally, like the narrative on Baker Mayfield, I think has gotten a little bit out of control. Like, okay, he was bad last year. I, I'm fine saying bad, even not yeah. like average, below average, whatever. He was bad. But week two was when he tore his shoulder up. He then like further aggravated it in week like six or seven. Uh, and then weeks 10 through 17, he was disastrous. So like, you, I don't think you can honestly look at last year and say this is representative of who he is, including – so this is where it gets complicated because you're like, oh, he tore his shoulder up, non-throwing shoulder, whatever, tore his shoulder up, and, yeah, that will affect some throws where, you know, they, obviously he can't generate the velocity and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't affect decision-making, right? That's, that's the way – that's what you think automatically, intuitively. That's what I think. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think when you have something significantly physically wrong with you – it changes the decisions you make, not necessarily consciously, but subconsciously, you don't take some shots because you know your body's not getting it done anymore and you change what you're doing. You kind of panic because you're like, God, I can't take another hit in this play. I throw it. And you make bad decisions as well. So I do think that it'd be better if he did that. Like The thing is, it, it could have helped him. Remember, remember when Aaron, do you, do you have a point to finish? I'm sorry. Well, I, my I point is simply you. that I think across the board last season, being injured completely changed the way Baker Mayfield played the game. And I said at the time that all he's doing is costing himself money because as much as you, as much as you would like to believe that the team is going to put an asterisk in, on this and be like, oh, yeah, like this, doesn't, this is not really Baker. This doesn't count, right? Immediately, as soon as the season finishes, we're all going to forget about it. We're just going to like, Baker played like crap last year. Yeah. He's, he's not a good quarterback. You were right about all that. Right. So, yeah, and that's exactly where we are now. The Browns took the offer off the table. Now they punted Baker completely. They got, went and got another quarterback. And it's not even just the, the Browns. Everybody else in the league is now like, oh, that guy just sucks. Look what he did last year. Which is harsh. Last year is just, you throw it away. Literally cannot use last year as any sort of indication of what Baker Mayfield is. So now you're down to the three previous seasons, which were great rookie year much worse second year where everything fell apart and people got fired at the end of it, right? Freddie Kitchens running an offense that looked absurd, immediately booted out of the building. So I would argue you could throw a lot of that out as well. And then year three, which is, this is the one that's more complicated because great grade built off a run in the second half of the season where he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league against a bunch of crappy defenses. So Terrible game to start off with. It was a Baltimore week one. Terrible game early in the season against Pittsburgh when they were Blitzburg and they had all the pass rush and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and then a run in the second half of the year where he was way better against a bunch of defenses that weren't as good. So, again, it's like it's a complicated evaluation, right? Like, what, does, what is the net of all of that? Is it as good as the number three overall quote? No. Is it as bad as the two games where he looked like crap against elite defenses, one that was right, you know, like the first week he played in this offense? No, somewhere in the middle. But that somewhere in the middle is a pretty good quarterback. Can we, just to go back to the 2020 season, the one that was the most difficult to break down. I mean, in those first six or seven weeks, we, there were legitimate discussions like, is this is a really good Browns team? It's a playoff caliber team. Is Case Keenum better at running this offense than Baker Mayfield? Should Case Keenum take over? Baker's game, you mentioned Baltimore to start, but the Pittsburgh game was horrendous. I mean, he wasn't throwing with touch. His decision-making was horrible. He wasn't seeing the field. Nothing was good. And, and things did turn around, and it just happened to coincide with when OBJ went down, which, once again, doesn't always make sense. Um, I completely stand by my points that a true wide receiver one is a massive needle mover. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and all that stuff. OBJ was that when he was traded for, and the opposite happened, or it just didn't, just didn't click in Cleveland. So that, a lot of that complicates the Baker Mayfield discourse. Yeah, he's it, not Sam Darnold. He's not Josh Rosen. Right. He's not this complete disaster. He's a guy that's had essentially a year and a half out of four of really good play. Right, and I acknowledge that we're in a weird position because you know we thought he was clearly the best prospect in that draft, right? The number one overall pick. We call that way before he went number one, all these kinds of things. And he isn't the best quarterback from that draft class. Whatever you think about where those guys are going to order, clearly right now, Josh Allen is way better than Baker Mayfield. Clearly, Lamar Jackson has been better than Baker Mayfield. But the point is, he's not as bad as the current narrative is right now. And he's shown, I think, enough to suggest that he could be a starting quarterback somewhere and be you know, that mid-tier of pretty good quarterback somewhere. So... If, yes, we, I don't want to say we have a vested interest, but like we were coming from a position of having been higher on him than most people. But I think the reasons we're still higher on him than most people are valid and should actually get him look somewhere. Now, I, I, I don't think it means you should trade a bunch to go get him because he's going to get cut. Right. Like the Browns have zero leverage anymore, and there aren't that many teams in the marketplace anymore. So he's probably going to get cut, and then a few teams could jump in and maybe get him either to compete for a starting job in Seattle or just as a backup, right? Drew Locke, or not Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, whatever. But the idea that this guy just sucks and isn't a good quarterback, period, the end, I think is kind of crazy. Agreed. And ultimately, you were right. Last year, he was, he was trying to do the football thing and play through it and all that stuff, and the Browns wanted him to play through it. And, you know, I, I thought he'd be – I thought an injured Baker was – especially on the left shoulder, was better than uh, a Keenum running that offense and just didn't work out. I mean, that should be a massive lesson to any NFL player who is thinking about playing through injury and has a contract somewhere on the horizon. Like, if you think that you playing is going to in any way hinder your contract, shut it down. And, okay, that's not a nice thing. We, none, none of us want to see that, right? None of us want to see players shutting it down for injury and protecting themselves. But, like, Baker Mayfield got absolutely screwed through trying to help his team last year. That, and, and that's the th- whatever you, you know, because now we're in this world of like, oh, Baker Mayfield's acting like a child. And, you know, that statement doesn't exactly come off as tremendously mature. But whatever you think about him, that dude did go out there and play his hardest through injury last year to help the team and got hosed. 
like played badly because of it. And he went from, does he get a $40 million a year contract to you're not even here anymore. We're getting rid of you. Uh, to me, that's the bigger issue. I think as much, like if he was just quietly going about his business, if he didn't always, attack, you know, go head to head with Colin Cowherd on social media and all, like all the stuff that he's done, go ahead with, go head to head with Cleveland media on social media and all that's, that's a big part of this as well, I think, for, for Baker and his next team. His teams don't want to buy into that. And if there was a place where we were wrong coming out of the draft, everything on the field looked really good. The off-the-field stuff or the, you know, his attitude, or the, you know, I thought that would work for him, and I do think it's worked more against him than anything. Yeah. What are you smirking at now? I mean, I think it's true. Like the, we've talked about this before. Like what is the difference between – Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow from an attitude standpoint, right? They're both kind of spiky characters. They're both confident to the point of cockiness. They both do some things that they're, they're both those kind of players where if they're your quarterback, you love them. If they're somebody else's quarterback, you hate them because yeah. of it, because of those things. But for Burrow, everything is working great. So we, all of it is a positive. For Baker, it hasn't gone great. And now he wants out the door. So it's a negative. And it's like, oh, these are character flaws we can trace back to his college days and we could see this we could see this coming like yeah but like kind of the same stuff is there with burrow except it's working so we don't care um like i think that's a legit thing that i i don't know that there is a difference maybe there is maybe there isn't but right now that is work is definitely working against him um along with the fact that he hasn't played well well the qb carousel is coming to an end i think a lot of these teams uh you know should be hedging in the draft with some of those top five or six quarterbacks but also i would take a shot on baker mayfield it's only 19 million just under 19 million dollars for this year to potentially get a look at him get him on your roster and see you know it is the is there a future there now the same thing that we say about cousins and his contract or maybe Derek carr's contract at some point do you want to pay baker 30 or 40 million dollars probably not and that's going to be the issue because if he comes in and balls out for like the Seahawks or something is he immediately worth 30 and you're dealt with this you get the same level of volatility that he's brought to the table but I would at least try to see especially a guy that is as emotional as what we're talking about will a new system will a new a new world actually work for him we'll see all right man appreciate all the emails and the people that are um you know being a part of the show here I want to give away a free PFF Edge description. I did. Um, where's the one? I lost it. Do you have something else to talk about while I find that? No, no, That's man. Great. So you just uh, you just sit there with some dead air. See how it oh, goes. There was somebody. I'll announce the name, but there's somebody who did a great job. I, I appreciate everybody that sent in the screenshots. Keep them coming. I'll do this every couple weeks. I will get the name officially on Monday, and I'll send you an email. But somebody sent us a screenshot that said that showed the screenshots and then said, by the way, I also signed my wife up hmm. for both podcasts. That's going above She might not know yet. So when I ask for a screenshot of, show us that you're subscribed to the Daily and the PFF NFL podcast, just, you know, because we, we want you to enjoy both. And, and, and he went above and beyond and doubled it and said, yeah, I signed my wife up too. He did. So, so she's getting the downloads as well. So uh, that guy's going to win a free PFF Edge <laughs> subscription once I find his email that I have not done a good job of... Uh, of uh you know putting into the right folder here well for done. me to see nice work but he's gonna win a free pff edge subscription and you can too if you send in a screenshot that shows that you're subscribed to the daily and 
the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah, YouTube counts as well, but we really, you know, you like to have the audio version. Yeah, that, that's that's really important. And uh, but the other thing we could do, if you haven't won your free PFF Edge, we can give you twenty five percent off Edge or Elite over at PFF.com using the promo code NFL Pod. That's right, twenty five percent off. Use the promo code NFL Pod. It's draft guide season. If you sign up today for you know a year of access, you're basically getting two draft guides because you'll have it next year into draft season. So it's a perfect time to sign up, get all of our fantasy content. You get the unlocked mock draft simulator, all of our free agent rankings, data grades for the entire 2021 season. It's all there, 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. Sound good? Mm-hmm. There's only one more daily to record for the rest of the week. True. We'll have that going, coming out tomorrow, and then we'll be back on Monday. we got another mock draft uh, Unless uh, craziness breaks over the weekend, then we have to do more emergencies. Might have to do some more emergencies. That's People have liked the emergency pods, and it, it's good. We just kind of hit record, talk for 10 minutes, and you got some good ones out there. So we'll be back Monday with more great off-season Come on. NFL chat. Come on. Nice, we're back. I am getting lit up. What is it? Hello, fellow youngsters. What does he say? They, like something greetings, like fellow kids or something? Yeah. yeah. That's great. This is rough. We need we need a Tyler. Thanks to uh, that, Ro Murphy sent me that one. We need to push back on Tyler at some point. That's true. Doing all this. Well, he he operates the graphics. We can't get him to get himself. That's true. We have to like you know when he goes to the bathroom or something. Chaz needs to lock him out and quickly <laughs> fire up some some Tyler hate. We're the we're the butt of all the jokes here, Sam. Sorry. Anyway, check out YouTube. We made fun of Sam once again. There look, yeah, there's look. all the places you can contact us, mm-hmm. I, I, especially at PFF NFL Podcast on TikTok. Get over there. Email us at nflpodcast at pff.com. We had a few more uh, people follow us after that. So, you they know, did. People right. listen. It's taken off. TikTok taken off. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back here on Monday.